welcome everyone to uh, the June edition of our podcast. Uh, I am here with the deputies, which I like to say because it makes me feel like John Wayne. Uh, you know, to have deputies directors say, "I got, I got some deputies." I think that's really awesome. Uh, I think it's really great. I'm, I'm here with uh, here with Joni, Terry, and Sarah, uh, and we're uh, doing the June podcast, which is an interesting topic. Terry, what's our topic this this month? So one of your 10 directives includes embracing the probate code. And so we are featuring this next month um, some information about how you would like to see this implemented within the circuit. So Daryl, what are, can you explain more in depth what embracing the probate code means? Yes. First of all, I suppose I should explain what is the probate code. I mean, if you've been out and heard the directives, you know what the probate code is. Uh, but the probate code is the part of the law that we use uh, to grant guardianships. And uh, one of the directives that I had was to embrace the probate code because uh, in my experience on the bench, uh, I would have juvenile cases that would be going on and on that were completely appropriate for guardianship, could have had guardianship long before, ultimately ended up in guardianship, and we'd be waiting. We'd be waiting for quote-unquote permanency to happen, uh, to get to that place when in fact child was with a relative who was ready and willing to do a guardianship uh, and we were waiting till some magical date to do this because it, those are the timelines and the parents had just disappeared and, and there was no reason, real reason to be there. And part of the reason that I uh, gravitate toward the probate code and think it's a useful tool is because of my old law partner Nick Gassaway. Nick was, uh, Nick was a lawyer about my age when I showed up at the Wegman Law Firm in Hillsborough, Missouri as a young law clerk and we were struggling with the juvenile system and how it was running there at that time in, the, in that county. And Nick just would always ask the question, what in the world are we doing here? Well, why does it look like this? And he would, he would wax philosophical about what the juvenile court should be. He would remind everyone that there did not used to be a juvenile court or a juvenile system or a children's division or anything like it. Uh, everything, uh, when something happened in a child's life that a parent couldn't take care of that child, that child was placed with the the nearest relative who was not a problem and uh, that person would be referred to probate court and they would run the matter through probate. And, and Nick did not think, because he was a sophisticated guy and he was very smart, well, he still is, he's 85 years old and he's uh, living in St. Clair still chopping wood and baling hay and doing all the things that Nick does, but Nick believed that the, pro that the juvenile system should be more narrow and it should be when we're doing social work. Uh, it should be for people who either, either have no body or whose parents are working a program to try to restore them. Otherwise, he thought, uh, if, if that child is suited for a guardianship, that's what we should do. And so I always sat on the bench and wondered, why in the world are we not doing this? I would ask this, and people would explain to me that we're waiting for permanency or waiting for this issue or waiting for that issue. And, and uh, I just believe that we could significantly reduce our numbers uh, if we took the cases that were appropriate for guardianship where the parents aren't working on reunification uh, and just do them as quickly as we can. And so that's really the key, I think, then, Daryl, is what you're talking about is that we have gotten gauge relatives early and often when we're talking about embracing the probate code because this is really a mechanism for our families, our relatives, to be able to move forward and still kind of maintain that relationship if it's appropriate with the parents. Is that correct? That's absolutely right. And I think, I think you're right to say the word early. Uh, because we've had this conversation and something that you have said that I've really listened to that I think is right 
you talk about having those hard discussions sometimes at the beginning of a case, especially if it's a repeat case, and say, hey, mom, dad, are you really wanting to do this? Can you really do this? Or, you know, are, are we looking at, you know, at least for the next several years or period of time that your parent or your aunt or somebody else is going to be raising this child? Because any time that you have grounds for a juvenile case, you have grounds for a probate case. In fact, I, I printed off uh, I, I printed off the uh, guardianship statute that I quote uh, during the presentation and, and basically says this, uh, guardianship may be granted when, quote, where the parent or sole surviving parent of a minor are unwilling, unable, or adjudged unfit to assume the duties of guardianship. Well, that's the same exact standard that we have for our cases. And so when it's more appropriate, when it makes sense, uh, for a child and for a family, we should just do that because that does not involve all of the meetings and hearings and everything else that become unnecessary in a situation where we've got a family taking care of itself already. So uh, I, I do say to embrace the probate code. You all have picked on me a little bit and said I should have t-shirts that say embrace the probate code. Uh, I thought of, I listed out all the places I'd gone to talk, you know, and I looked at it, I listed what date I was going to be where, and I'm like, that looks like the back of a concert t-shirt. So I was like, it's almost like it's a con embrace the probate uh, tour. Uh, but that's... I think um, what's interesting in what you just said that I keyed on to is it said or, not and. So you only have to right. have one of those, not all. And I would ask... Um, kind of your perspective from your background what we see a lot are parents not being consistent in those efforts so they'll go months without maybe making any efforts and then they'll come to some visits or do some for like what does that look like from your perspective because I think a lot of our um, at least the cases I've seen um, a lot of people would say well they're just not consistent but they're making efforts but the, that causes cases to linger years uh, that's very case-specific, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, it's very factually based. So one case might not look like another case. I, I think that there's a time and a place to have a contested guardianship under cases like that. And, uh, you know, a lot of people... Uh, I am hesitant to call our cases abuse and neglect cases. Uh, I just... I, I use the word dependency. I use it all the time because... I guess because I come from this probate code world where you're right, uh, you're thinking like a lawyer, Joni, which I think is impressive, uh, to, to, to focus on that word or because uh, it's you're unwilling, unable, or a judge done fit. So it's not necessarily that I'm saying, making a value judgment with regard to the parent. The parent may just have a terrible addiction with which he or she is struggling, right? But, but they're just not able to do it right now. And that inconsistency could be a basis upon which they're unable to do it right now. So there's a reason when you're having the bumpiness of that progress to stick around. There's a reason to stick around. Uh, but there's also a time when you could say, nah, enough of that, let's just let's just go forward. And I think that there's a way in, co in communication with families is, one, I think from our perspective, it brings kids permanency, and that's what we're here to do. Um, but it also potentially leaves that door open. It's not TPR, it's guardianship. And if a parent can't, um, you know, do that right now, it leaves that door open you know, to come back later and, and do that. Does that make sense? Yes, it Reopen does. That. Yeah. And, and it happens a lot. And, and I think I speak from some experience on this because I did this for 19 years. I mean, this, this, this approach was done in Jefferson County for 19 years. And uh, n 
frequently, uh, you would see somebody back a decade later where the child was three when the child came into care. The child's now 13. Mom has been clean for five years, uh, has been visiting with child, has been doing well with child, and now grandma's got an illness. And everybody agrees, mom's ready and can do this thing and step in where grandma was or even move into grandma's house and help grandma and help raise child, you know, and, and that kind of thing happens. Uh, people have expressed a concern to me, well, you know, somebody could come back and fight over this later and that would leave that, that guardian uh, subject to, to being attacked. Well, that's true, that can happen, but in the 19 years I did it, I can count on one hand, less than counting on one hand, the number of times that really happened. What more frequently happened was that, that grandma or, or Aunt Susie or whoever would grab the, the, the rehabilitated parent, drag them into court with them and say, judge, look how awesome she is. Look how great she's done. Uh, I started this, I was 65, now I'm 75, and uh, mom is and able to do this. And we would investigate it. We would investigate it, normally find out that it was completely true, uh, and that we could terminate that guardianship later on down the road. It gives you, it gives you more options, frankly, than you would have the other way. I think you make some really good points, and I'm glad you brought up those two scenarios. Um, when I was in the field, that's what I heard a lot. Oh, those younger kids, we shouldn't do guardianship. We should be looking at adoption. Or what if, you know, we're out of the case, and then our relatives have no support there? And so um, I appreciate you addressing those two situations. Are there any other situations that you would be concerned about um, going forward with a guardianship or situations that you had that maybe would make a case not appropriate for a guardianship. Oh, sure. Again, it's very fact-specific, right? It varies from case to case. What I would ask, a lot of times people would appear in front of me and there would be a discussion about uh, what should the permanency plan be? Should the permanency plan be guardianship or adoption? And I would often ask the question, well, what does the petitioner want to file? You know, what does grandma want to be? Does grandma want to be grandma and do a guardianship, or does grandma want to adopt? And situations where I've seen grandma want to adopt are like this. Grandma is mom's mom, and dad's the perpetrator, and dad's an evil sexual abuser, or dad's some other evil person. That whole side of the family have have a whole host of problems, and they're not connected. They just show up every once in a while and cause problems. There's a reason why grandma would say, I want to become mother. Uh, and have that guy not be father. You know, that, that's just one example of where that, that makes sense. Again, it's very fact-specific. I'm always hesitant when somebody says, this way is always better than that way. Uh, I'm always very hesitant of that to, when, when somebody says that because that means they've not, they've not dwelt in the, in the real world of multiple fact scenarios that could come up uh, against you. Uh, that's, that's the most common one I can, I can think of where... Uh, it makes sense because somebody's rights need terminated because they're so dastardly <laughs> that they shouldn't be around the child, right? Right. Does the guardian go through the same types of checks that um, someone like a foster parent would? Well, we're talking about somebody being a guardian out of one of our cases. They've been approved for for, okay. for placement, and and it's it's different in every county what what they want or require, but I always I always took the position that the the, the background checks and all the work that was done and the, and the you know what would be needed for a home study for our placement for a, a placement at children's division was adequate in my mind for me to say they'd be a fit guardian, uh, you know. So they 
they do have that. I would note, too, that uh, once you grant a guardianship, that there continues to be supervision of a court. I mean, very loose supervision, uh, not anything that's... But, but you have to report to that court every year, and if something goes wrong, that court can become involved again. So, you know, those guardians can be checked out as much as that judge or guardian ad litem who's appointed for that child wants that guardian to be checked out. And does that um, help with the cost? So say in 10 years, dad is ready to um, be back in the picture. Right. We want guardianship to go back to dad. How does that get funded? Or How I did it? I thought if dad's showing up and saying dad is fit, I'm making dad, I'm making dad bear the financial load for that. I don't know how other judges would handle that, but that's what I would do. It's like, I need to reappoint the guardian ad litem. Guardian ad litem is going to need, uh, you know, need to be paid. Uh, I'm going to ask you to pay X amount into the registry of the court to pay for the guardian ad litem to check you out to make sure you're okay. Because if you're really able to take care of this child, uh, because you've got a job and a house and a car and all those things, you should be able to do that. And if you're not able to do that, I'm hesitant to set aside the guardianship. Okay. And sometimes they would not be able to do that, and I would not set aside the guardianship. But... Uh, more frequently, uh, they gladly deposited that money. The guardian ad litem would check on it, you know, look at the house, talk to the dad. We do the background checks, get the pay stubs, interview the child, say, yes, I visit with dad all the time. I desperately want to go there. Uh, that's when you'd say, yeah, that's, this, is, this is right. So, And for our families, you know, who decide that they want to be licensed, then we also offer subsidy um, through guardianship. And so they have resources to continue to help support that child after we're out of the picture. Right. And that was not the way it was in the beginning, right? Uh, At the beginning of the Adoption and Safe Families Act, guardianships were not included. And when they did, I think it it gave us a real opportunity uh, for that for that to happen. And I think the fact that that was done that way is why some people, uh, you know, in, initially began to view adoption as a, as a superior way of resolving these cases in a guardianship. And I don't say that guardianship is superior to adoption. I'm saying that it's different. And it's different, uh, different solutions match different cases better. I think you've got to look at the facts of the case and decide which thing is better. So I would imagine... Um, a lot, you know, we did a poll recently of um, kids in our care that had um, been in a placement permanency goal of guardianship that had been with a relative over six months, and there was like a thousand kids statewide. So hopefully a lot of people are listening and thinking this could be applicable to like my current case. What would you say to someone that lives in a circuit where their judge is not open to something like that? How would you hint? tell our caseworkers to handle that? I would say get our permanency attorney and file it anyway. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, there are judges who say, I'm not going to uh, consider guardianship unless somebody has explored adoption first, which I can understand. You could say, you you can ask the question to the petitioner, which thing do you want to file? which thing makes sense, and then advocate for the thing that you, that, that you want to do. I think um, I, I'm hopeful that my former colleagues there on the bench are going to be open to looking at the facts of every different case and saying that they're different each way. But I'm willing to have us file things and have them be rejected so that we can decide whether or not we want to appeal those rejections of those things or if we just say, well, in that circuit, that's the way that's going to go. And that we, 
and and frankly, sometimes there were there were things filed in front of me as a judge that I thought I'm not going to do that, but it got filed enough times, and I considered it enough times, and I looked at the facts of a particular case where I said maybe they got a point, and I would think about it. So I would not let the judiciary, you know, stating policy saying this is what you are or aren't going to file. Uh, let them deny it, and then we'll go down whatever other road we, we need to as we can. I think, did you talk about this last week at NJJA? I did talk How about did it at NJJA. People were delighted. Uh, they were taking notes. <laughs> they were saying, seriously, can we? You mean we don't have to wait a year? I'm saying you don't have to wait a year. Uh, you mean you mean we could have done this at the beginning of the case where this case came in and this child was with grandma and grandma doesn't want the subsidy and grandma's just ready to do a guardianship? You mean I didn't have to open a file? Yeah, that's what I'm telling you. If grandma goes off and files something in probate court for herself, to family taking care of itself, then we don't have to do that. They seemed very happy. Also, you know, when I talked at MJJA, I didn't, I did not just talk about guardianships. I also uh, it was entitled, I, I forget what it was, but it was basically uh, Unclogging the Juvenile Justice Highway. Uh, and I took a picture of a traffic jam in Florida because there is no traffic jam like a traffic jam in Florida. Uh, it's just amazing the amount of traffic there. It's just, it's, it's, it's incredible. And I, I took the traffic, I took the picture at a place where I know there was always a traffic jam because it's, it's, it's the road. It's where this intersection, this, this, this interstate intersects that interstate, and there just are not enough lanes to deal with all the cars. It's because everybody loves Florida. Everybody loves Florida. Florida. And they're, and so they and, and they're, they're, they're all just south, just south of, of Pinellas County and Manatee County, right there where you're going south on 75, and all those lanes converge in one place. And it just means there are too many cars on the road or not enough lanes. So we're clogged up, and so we've either got too many cars on the road or not enough lanes. Well, is there any way to, to expand our capacity of our court system? Is there any way to expand the capacity of our, our foster care system, the availability of it? And I think there's not. And I think that our number of kids in care, 14,000, uh, is double the national average per capita and makes us fifth in the nation. I think it means that we need to take the steps we can to get kids that are in the system out of the system when we can and keep the kids who we can keep out of the system out of the system so you're keeping cars off the road uh, if they don't have to be on the road and you're getting an exit ramp for those that you can have an exit ramp for. And again, if you've got kids placed with relatives and nobody's doing any services, why are we here? As you said, Joni, a thousand. I quote it all the time. I say, Joni has checked. There are a thousand cases, 1,000 cases which is the beginning of our march to 7,000, which is where you'd like to be, right? 1,000 cases where the goal, is the permanency, the, the, the stated permanency goal is guardianship, and there's not been a guardianship done. Like, what is holding that up? I can't imagine what is holding that up because doing a non-contested guardianship, either where the parents have consented or where they're just not there, as a lawyer, there's nothing easier. There is nothing easier than that. That is easier than falling off of a wet rock. It is the easiest thing you can do in the law because you have no real opponent. There is, there is a very simple petition with very simple standard to meet, and it's a hearing that can take 10 minutes. I do not understand. I mean, if I were still on the bench, I would volunteer to hold a special docket for everybody in the state for three weeks, and I could clear all 1,000 of them if somebody would just come try them. And so... 
I just think we need to move those cases and when and because when we do what does that do that frees up that case manager to deal with cases that really need work because those cases that are just sitting there you still requires a meeting still requires a hearing still is going to suck up half your day when you have to go to court and we could resolve it we could resolve it right now with a good probate judge who's willing to work you in could do it between their morning docket and lunch. You could just work you in and take care of it. And nobody has any objections to guardianships. None of you. Do you hear any objections to guardianships? I mean, does anybody say, oh my gosh, Daryl has lost his mind. This is crazy idea. I think one of the one of the issues that does come up every now and then is that um, some of our families don't have the resources to pay on the front end right. for that attorney and that filing fee. Um, but we know that they can be reimbursed through the subsidy for that. Um, and so, you know, any thoughts on how to assist in that in that way? Um, you know, I've seen judges before in the in the circuit that I came from. You know, would set up a plan with the the family, and so we would come back in and, and checks and how much have you saved at this point? How much? As soon as you hit this number, then we're going, we're moving forward. So, any thoughts on yeah, how the, to assist families? Yeah, the financial piece of that is difficult. Uh, I I think it really is. I think if there are circuits like my circuit, there are lawyers who are going to be willing to say. You know, this is, uh, I'm, I'm going to be paid something, but this is so easy and this is so important that I'm going to, I'm going to be very reasonable with my fee and, and work with people and take a payment and, you know, work with folks to get this done. Uh, and I, I think that's, uh, it, that the financial, financial piece of things and funding streams is something that escapes me. You know, it really, it really is beyond me, but I think that is a challenge and, and maybe a reason to hang around long enough to get to the subsidy, right? That might be a reason to do that. Uh, but Isn't that even six months? Yes. That's so not a months. year, so it's six months. So it's still months, it's six you know. months. And, yeah. you know. Well, and what I've asked people is, well, if, if subsidies at six months, how long does that take to get done? Because I would be sitting at the first review hearing, at you know, which happens at 90 days after, you know, after, after disposition, after the initial disposition, and, and child's with Aunt Susie, and mom and dad are nowhere, and I'm saying, why don't we just do a guardianship, and people saying, well, we're not the permanency yet, and then if somebody would mention the subsidy, I said, well, how long was it going to take you to work on the subsidy? You know, would it be ready, if you worked on it, would it be ready by the time I came back at six months and a day, you know, would everything be ready? Uh, you have all your work done, and you can just file it then, and I can the next day, um, six months and a day, do what needs to be done. And if the parents show up, well, delightful. We're glad. But, uh, but they well, can file it. They can be moving forward. We just set the court date after that six-month period, and then the, inter the judgment's entered. And we could get it done. Yeah. We could get it done. Uh, the other thing I would mention, uh, we talked about it at MJJA. It's kind of related to the guardianships, was uh, 211.093, uh, which is a statute that says that a judge can close a juvenile file and give legal custody to somebody, actually not in that order, give legal custody to somebody, and then close the juvenile file and have custody uh, be with that person. That was also a, a, an item of great interest. Uh, I'm hearing, I am hearing that word of that has gotten out across across the state, and judges are saying, you know, get me the form order that Judge Missy used. Uh, I'm not a judge anymore, I was at the time. Uh, and, uh, and we're willing to do that. 
you know, we're willing to do that. And that's where you've got a non-offending parent who's got the custody of a child. Yeah, the non-offending parent's got custody of a child, and the offending parent can't be served, is out running around, out doing stuff, and everybody's ready to be done with this case and give custody to mom and have dad have an hour a week supervised because he's not going to do the services. And without them having to go through a whole bunch of litigation and us hang around for two years, just declare that that's the custody order and move them on down the road. And if they have a fight later in family court, they can have a fight later in family court. Uh, that could also move a good number of our cases. Mm -hmm. I don't know how many, but when I ask people uh, around the state, how many of your cases does that involve? And they all start nodding and laughing. Boy, a whole bunch of them. Well, that would that would also free up that time to handle the cases we're really working on, which is where people are really working to, to get custody of their kids back or where we really are at the back end of a case that's difficult that we're going to have to do a termination of parental rights and you're going to have to do the work in preparation for that. It gives you the time to do those things and not be messing with these cases that are, are just easily resolved with a couple of other statutes that exist in our law that will help us move families down the road. How many kids do you think if we were able to move just on those two, custody modifications and guardianships, would that move to permanency? I think when we looked at the numbers and looking at those kids that have been on a trial home placement for over, for a significant period of time, you know, generally when we've dug in, those are the cases that we're just waiting for that custody modification. So, I mean, we're probably talking about another, you know, 500 to, to a thousand cases out there that we're waiting on. Um, I think it's just a reminder for staff, you know, if hopefully your courts are hearing this message from um, Director Missy and, and being willing to move forward with a 211-093 and entering that custody um, modification within the juvenile court, but if not, then we also, as a reminder, have the custody modification um, funding available where Children's Division will um, pay for the parent to get that modification in the, in the family court. So just a, a reminder out there about that option as well. So we can move some cases. I'm hopeful for that. And, you know, I'm hopeful that if, if we can get those things done uh, in the manner that we've discussed here, then our permanency attorneys could be spending their time really working on trying some of those cases that we need to have tried. You know, trying some of the TPR cases, trying some of the contested guardianships that we need to have tried and get those and get those things done. A lot of times waiting for litigation and walking around each other in, 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 uh, in contested cases is part of our problem too. But if we've got those lawyers freed up, uh, we could certainly we could certainly begin to move move the ball. So I think we're, uh, we're at the end now. Sorry to have monopolized this, but it's the probate code. It's almost, it's almost like me talking baseball. I never thought I would be this excited about the probate code, but I really am. And uh, I, I, by the way, it is of the 10 directives. The rest of it's about mindset and what, what do we think and how do we think. It probably is the most substantive one. Uh, and I'm really grateful that people have been as open-minded about it as they have. That, that people have approached that with an open mind and said, hey, is Daryl right about that? Could that be something we could use to help move things down the road? And overwhelmingly, I think people have come to agree that there's a time and a place to do that and move cases along. So I'm really hopeful for that. 
and we'll be closing out this podcast. I want to thank the three of you for uh, being part of this posse, my deputies. It was really great to have you be here uh, and for all your good work. And I want to thank all of you out there for everything you've done. If I've not come to your circuit yet to have the Vision Talk, we're, uh, we're working on getting everybody else scheduled, so we will be coming. So thank you for, uh, thank you for being patient with us, and thank you for all the good work that all of you do. 